Hi, welcome to the Getting Hip Podcast. I'm your host, Aylwin, and today I've got a couple of things that I want to talk about. Uh, as I've mentioned in previous podcasts, I also do transcriptions on my YouTube channel, and I thought it might not be a bad idea to, like, whenever I do a transcription, to at least do a little bit of a rundown of it. So just giving, like, general advice. Sometimes I'll learn some things in like the actual song, but also I'll learn some things in the transcription process, maybe some engraving ideas or so on and so forth. And I thought I'd just kind of go over this latest one that I've done because it's so short and I want to see kind of how much time it takes up in podcast form when I talk about, say, a, uh, like a, well, the song only goes for one minute. The song that I transcribed is a four-part horn arrangement of Abide With Me. It's from Thelonious Monk's album Monk's Music. It's arranged by the alto player Gigi Grice. Gigi Grice, I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce it. Uh, sorry, my man. But um, yeah, and so Abide With Me, I believe it's like an old classic hymn. And the melody, I'm going to kind of play it, you know, very quickly and hopefully not in a too copyright noticeable way. But it's just like, I think if I play any more, it's going to like go and it's going to get hella into copyright territory. So maybe just go and suss out the uh, transcription on my YouTube channel, but it's really nice. And it's kind of a classic way. The, I mean, it's obviously not the hardest thing to transcribe. The, the horn lines are really like, you know, You know, uh, and kind of the bottom voice, it, there's like in the bass, really simple stuff. But the, I guess there are two things that I wanted to talk about when, uh, or the reason I wanted to talk about it, other than the fact that it's, you know, a really, I mean, it's a really straightforward arrangement, um, not using too much, too much different harmony. But I guess some engraving things that I uh, want to mention that like I did in the process is making sure that if you've got a um like a an arrangement, I actually kind of made the choice to do it all in concert, even though yeah, it's all played on horns. It's because there's a trumpet player, there's a tenor, there's two tenors, the trumpet Ray Copeland, uh, alto Gigi Grice. Um, I know I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher his name every time. Uh, but uh, and the two tenors are Coltrane and Hawkins. I wanted to put it all on one grand staff, and in order to kind of choose, I guess what like what key do I put it in? Do I put it in B flat? Do I put it in E flat? I was like, oh, I'll just put it in concert, you know. Uh, and and anyone who like you know, just for analysis purposes, and if people were to like want respective versions in either B flat or A or E flat, you could just kind of uh, shift and transpose it. So. I think for, yeah, and I would, like, if there was only B-flat instruments, I would have done the whole thing in B-flat. I had a, a similar thing when I transcribed um, Invocation by Chris Potter, which is a much more dense arrangement, but I just ended up doing everything in concert anyway, just because I was like, uh, 
he's gonna he's playing like some uh, bass clarinet and i I think alto and tenor he's definitely playing a soprano for the melody so i was like oh, i'm not entirely sure what to do do it in concert for uh, like harmonic analysis and stuff and other than that like you can just transpose it as you need also little things like you know having the voices having the stems face up and down you know bass clef the bottom voice stems always face down and tenor stems always face up alto down uh, soprano up and i guess in terms of some like self-criticisms one thing i probably would have done is done a harmonic analysis i'm i mean i'm really ambivalent with harmonic analysis just because i think they look really messy but for something that's as like chilled out and and low-key as this i think it really could have worked but yeah i don't know i'm i generally err on the side of not wanting to do chord analysis because that's like well i mean it's the kind of catch 22 right it's like i put it all in concert for the purposes of like reading and analysis but i also didn't include uh chord symbols so it's like mm, mm, what uh, what do and i'm not entirely sure i think i was saying uh that like thinking back on it i was i was saying that i should probably should have done a chord analysis and i'll keep it in mind for things in the future but yeah uh, other than that i think maybe i should have put some little notations for um like breath marks but the breath marks are not really that well like hurt, like they're not that well accent accented you can't really hear them but yeah so it's, I guess in terms of, like, that's mostly the engraving stuff. In terms of the music content, the arrangement is, like, quite nice and, like, really straightforward. There's some pretty nice lines in the tenor that uh, Coltrane plays that are kind of, like, counter to the melody. And the bass, I'm fairly sure, like, it sounds like Coleman Hawkins, who's playing the bass, uh, the bass line. It's got some really cool stuff, like uh, like some dominant seven chords in third inversion uh, and just like a kind of chromatic moving down baseline but all really i guess typical harmonic counterpoint stuff that you would find in you know your classical classical voice leading and how i'd recommend studying it is if you're like a pianist you would play it because like the all of the voices voice lead really nicely and I think more especially as a guitar... I mean, obviously you do this as a pianist as well, but especially for guitarists, we guitarists have a habit of not really practicing or getting good at voice leading. So, yeah. Go and check out my uh, transcription of Abide With Me from Monk's Music. I guess that kind of segues into the albums that I've been listening to. So, I was digging through on iTunes because I remember that there were a couple of things like I think I bought a 100 Greatest Bill Evans tracks, and I'm always kind of skeptical on that. I kind of like to just buy the albums, but um, this one, it had like most, if not all of the songs from Portrait and Jazz and some other songs, so, uh, like from Undercurrent, like the Jim Hall one. So I was like, yeah, screw it, I'll buy it. It's, it's pretty cheap. But I also found two examples of uh, Thelonious Monk and Bud Powell. There's you can buy compilations of theirs 
on iTunes for like $10. And the Thelonious Monk comes with nine albums. The Bud Powell, I think, comes with six albums, eight albums. Yeah. And they're really good. I mean, I recommend checking them out because, um, you know, I mean, obviously it's, it's nice to have a, like a massive collection and these are actually full albums. So that's cool. But also the reason that I got it is because I've been feeling recently that my, I feel like my strengths in transcribing there is like, I'm really good at transcribing rhythm. I can do that fairly quickly. Uh, you know, it's kind of, it's going to be the easiest to transcribe. Let's be honest. I can do melody next quite well, but then like figuring out harmony kind of on the spot. I've been, I have a kind of slight theory that there's two different sorts of like ways you can hear when you're transcribing ways that you can listen when you're transcribing. I like to think about it as like intonation hearing hearing and also like relative pitch hearing or like, well, I could call it, I mean, I could probably come up with some fancier names than that. Like, I guess intonation, earring and uh, motion, intonation, listening and motion listening. That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. So intonation listening is something that I've been getting quite good at recently because I'm going through a process of kind of learning how to like tune a piano and so you know doing all of like the fine adjustments on each of the strings and stuff you start to really hear like when things are 10 8 5 cents out like things that you really don't think you would notice but if you get into your like intonation listening you can really tell the difference especially if you just sit down and you play like a piano key like if you play a piano key and one of the strings is five cents out, you're going to hear it almost immediately, especially if you've been focusing on your intonation listening. And I realized that my intonation listening is actually pretty good, uh, but my kind of motion listening and just being able to really quickly pick up what a chord progression is, it was lacking a little bit. So I, well, it was lacking, but I find that I can do it really easily for like simple diatonic stuff and i kind of learned that by going through and transcribing you know 250 plus songs for cruise gig uh or not not just cruise gig but also like wedding gig stuff i had this thing where i i love just like kind of making the charts and having them like figured out there so i can give them to other people and so on and so forth we can all learn the songs pretty much on the spot but yeah i I've got really good at hearing really simple diatonic harmony and stuff, but seventh chord stuff, jazz progressions, they take a little bit of work. Sometimes I'm not exactly sure where I am. So that's why I was like, oh, I want to get some albums that are old enough that the harmony is not incredibly dense and like fucked up and non-functional, but also like new enough that it's like jazz progressions and it's not kind of like really old school jazz and stuff like in the ragtime and, you know, uh, like earlier than that. So that's why I was like, oh, well, I really love Thelonious Monk. And I've also heard that Bud Powell, I mean, I know of Bud Powell, obviously, but I hadn't really dug into him. And so I grabbed these two compilations and I've been kind of working through uh, just 
not even really learning songs. I've just been playing, like trying to figure out the harmony to songs and like just jamming along. I listened to them a couple of times and I highly recommend it. I think it's really good. You can, because you start to learn different, uh, you start to pick up different like ways that you can like easily figure out where you are. I was chatting with my partner and I just said like, for figuring out jazz progressions, one thing you can think of to help you out is it's either a two, a five, or a one. And that's not entirely true, but it also is not not true, right? Like, if you've got... Like, I think it's also because, you know, I mean, obviously you can say, oh, yeah, there's, you know, there's the sound of the three chord and there's the sound of the four major seven chord. Yeah, that's totally true and that's a totally valid point. But I think for knowing exactly where you are and for hearing the common cliches of jazz, you will kind of, you will figure out that chords are the two chord or the like flat two diminished chord or something like that by realizing that it's not a two, a five or a one chord. Sorry, I said before two chord, but you'll figure out that chords are like the three or the four chord or the like the the flat two diminished chord, and the like the equivalent to the other types of stuff that I've transcribed is if you are listening to say like pop music, there's the common thing. Oh yeah, it's always the same four chords. You either have the major key one six. Oh, that's up to half the minute. My bad. One six four five one uh or you have the minor key you know uh one minor six major uh three major and then what is it flat seven you know flat seven minor it's funny because i actually don't kind of transcribe it like that i would i would uh like personally i convert it into a major key just because i find it a lot easier to think about so it'd be like six one five uh what am I thinking? Am I derping out right now? Yeah, I think I am derping out right now. Six, four, one, five. Yeah, no, sorry, I'm not derping out. Six, four, one, five. Six, C minor, A flat major, E flat major, and then B flat major. As a domino. And that progression you hear all the time. What is it? Oh, that's not right. What does it do? It's... Oh, no, it's uh, F sharp. It's up to the... Sit. Yeah. <laughs> nice little... I think Despacito needs to become a, more of a meme in jazz. I mean, I know Despacito is obviously like... It's such a like almost universally hated song uh, in music intellectuals. But I really think that like... I think there's some gold in there, you know? Just just go back and listen to it again. If you if you're not if you're not hundred percent sure about the like hidden the hidden hipness that exists within Despacito, then I think you just need to listen to it a little bit more. But yeah, so like you'll start to then figure out like if you're hearing like translating that same idea, doing some ear training in, in the jazz world, if you hear like a chord and you like just ask yourself straight away, like 
do you think that's a one, a two, or a five? It's like, well, it sounds sounds like a one, you know? And if you were to hear maybe something like this, like a progression like that, I'll play it up an octave so that's a, a little easier to hear, but... And then... You know, you're going to instantly hear that as two, five, one, you know? Blah, blah, blah. And little things like that in context, you'll start to like just quickly, quickly be able to form connections as to where you are. Uh, there are some progressions that are like even easier to hear if you were to hear something like, you know, like I will spot out like a minor two, five, one out of nowhere because that sound is so just that sound is so common and then you'll or it's common but it's also really distinct in my ears it kind of stands out kind of like a sore thumb and you will then begin to hear little alterations to that what if say for example in like what is it i think it's the i think it's in the b section of a night in tunisia uh where they do like minus seven flat five in this case, G, C7, flat 9, and then F major 7. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. That's like a yeah, like a chord progression that is a nice, little, a nice little alteration to it. And just little things like that you'll start to pick up. You'll hear then after that when it's like, oh, okay, if our end point is F major, uh, this sounds like the 2-5. But what about a three, six, two, five, one? I've been recently looking at like, uh, well, not looking at, but I've been made aware of uh, anchoring techniques for pianists. So it's like you'll take, you know, your, I guess you'll take your thumb and place it on a note and then try and play things. Like that descending line I'm playing with my first finger and then I'm playing it with my second finger, with my third finger, which is, oh my God. And then with my pinky, uh, I can get maybe to, to A flat from D after beginning to feel the pain. Uh, but yeah, sorry, I uh, just popped into my head. Think about anchoring techniques. And well, I mean, it kind of popped into my head, but I've also been slightly thinking about it with guitar because I've been thinking of some... There's one guitarist that I really like. His name's uh, Renier Boss. And he's a... he. I saw him live and he does some really like almost counterintuitive things, especially with his thumb, but not counterintuitive, but just like really going, like bringing his thumb beyond where his fingers are to reach higher notes. And I'm like, wow, like no one else would have the balls to do that. Uh, you would just like shift position. And I've been thinking about how could you like, what could be a, a purpose within that? How could you use that effectively? And the idea of like anchoring kind of, I guess, made aware, made, made me aware of like, if you were to do like D and then do a chromatic line, it would make so much more sense to do D with say your pinky and then do the chromatic line. So your hand's not crossing over, but it's probably like because you're setting up for later movements and later like uh i guess positions you do sometimes need to do the counterintuitive things so 
I've been kind of thinking a little bit about that. Although this is really underdeveloped. Don't, you know, uh, I'm not really going to be able to play any examples for you right now, but maybe think about how to, uh, how to kind of apply some counterintuitive fingering patterns and such and not ones that hurt you. I mean, I'm a very big, no, like no physical pain when you're playing depends on the instrument, but for guitar, especially electric guitar, like realistically, if you're using good technique, uh, which I often do, you can practice for four or five hours, which I can also often do. So yeah, I'm a, I don't know. I, I find that like, and uh, it depends if you're using thicker gauge strings, you know, it can, that can affect it. If you're playing acoustic guitar also, yeah, I mean, you're going to have to start building up some serious finger strength, but I mean, I don't ever think that you should, I mean, I, I firmly don't believe that you should ever use like physical pain as a mess, as a uh, kind of like way of seeing whether you're actually being productive because that's just not going to, that's not going to work out well. Uh, oh, I just realized there is something in the uh, transcription process that I forgot to talk about, uh, which I, I do want to talk about really quick uh, because it relates to the um, intonation uh, hearing. And it's when you, sometimes when you're playing and you're listening to lots of pure sounding instruments, this happens a lot when you are listening to vocals singing or like choirs and stuff. I've been very slowly working through a take six arrangement that I might want to transcribe, but it's it's not coming out anytime soon. So yeah. Uh, but the one question that I've been thinking about is how do you know when a note is actually being sung or if it's an overtone? So if you're playing, let's say you have four people and they're playing an A flat major chord, how is it going to be voiced? Is it like, uh, let's say A flat's the melody note. I, I would imagine you'd most often hear it voiced like this, which is A flat, E flat, C. Oh, I can't see. C, C. And then high A flat. And now you can probably hear a phantom. Oh, whoops, that was beautiful. It's, especially hearing it in context, if you hear. But it's not actually there. It's just an overtone. And it's a lot more noticeable when you listen to pure tone instruments like i said before vocals but also as well if you have just say a string section playing or you've got just all of one sort of uh like one type of horn playing and what you do is you can actually kind of use some intonation ears to figure out whether something is an overtone or not maybe not roots and fifths Fifths you can probably figure out because fifths are tuned a little, 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 little bit flat. And so if you can tell that uh, the fifth is that littlest bit flat, then it will be, you know, you'll be able to tell. But mainly you'll be able to hear with major thirds because major thirds based on the harmonic series are tuned a lot 
lower than they actually are in just information. So what I've got set up right now is a uh, acoustic piano sound, and I'm gonna just play an like I'm gonna play an A flat five, and with a regular major third. You can hear that there's a kind of, but if as you'll hear in a moment, I'm gonna play an A flat five along with a C that's tuned minus 14 cents. Let's take a listen to that. So there's your minus 14 cents. Here's the original. This is regular just intonation, uh, regular equal temperament. This is back to just intonation. So the just intonated C kind of rests a little bit nice more nicer in the chord but and what you'll be able to do is if you're listening to something and you're not entirely sure if there's meant to be a c let's say there's a kind of ambiguous chord sound like uh e flat oh i'll do a flat e flat b flat And there's a really, really faint C that exists there. You're going to hear it anyway. But I can hear that that C sounds kind of like a... It sounds... Firstly, it's really quiet in the mix. But also, secondly, it's kind of flatter than a normal C. And so I'll probably be able to... I'll be able to tell like, oh, okay, that's an overtone. So I'm not going to worry about including it in a notation you can probably put it in and then put like a little like bracket around it just to show that it is a like that it is an overtone but if it wasn't part of the chord then you won't actually need to do it like if the chord is a flat e flat b flat f like that is there that's like an a flat six nine chord but with no third if there's not meant to be a third in there then you can kind of ignore it from the notation if they're not intentionally playing you know there there is a very prominent c and you can hear there is like the the warble of a of a equally tempered c as opposed to where the c is a little bit more chill and doesn't doesn't come out as uh, as strongly so yeah, I guess to finish this off, I'll probably mention a purchase that I've made recently, which is kind of changing changing my life, uh, or my musical life at least, which is the Airturn Duo something something 200 BT 200 pedal, something like that. Uh, it's basically a pedal that you Bluetooth connect to your iPad or tablet, whatever you use to read sheet music, and you can change pages with a foot tap as opposed to actually having to move over and uh, like physically touch the page or like turn over physical pieces of dead tree if you're using actual music, actual sheet music. And it's like, I bought it because uh, I mentioned I have a s string of theater gigs coming up and like some of these, uh, like I do want to give credit to the, whoever made the charts, the theater gig charts are really well 
kind of written and most of the page turns are good but there are some pages where like the guitar just plays and it doesn't stop at all and it's like uh okay there's not really any opportunity for a page turn to happen anytime soon so yeah it's uh getting this pedal has been a, a super big help and what's cool is the model that i got on top of being able to work for ios or android whatever you can also use it to bluetooth sync to your computer and it will um you can connect it to your daw i think it's optimized for pro tools but and i use ableton so it's not it's not great but it's pretty cool in that you can like use it for like stop and start recording and i think you can also use it to shift between tracks not 100 percent sure but uh because i honestly haven't really needed it but yeah a recent purchase that i pretty strongly recommend is the air tone duo pedal if you do lots of live performing and you need to be able to change pages quickly on the fly uh mega recommend this one's got like 200 hours battery life so that's pretty good but also only takes like an hour or two to charge so yeah no complaints from me i think i might wrap this podcast podcast up right now uh i hope you have enjoyed yourself don't forget to get in the shed and keep getting hip and i'll see you next time